We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning this thing on see now i'm getting mad because it's getting ready to be on i want my whiskey to bite me a little bit this is the kind of psychopath that i hang out with i got beat up outside of a denny's the rock pile report with buffalo bills season ticket holder drew gear he likes to get max's ex's nose something i can't do with this podcast because i drink too much chris krueger my rollerblading blonde mohawk producer the pettiest hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Well, I didn't think, honestly, we, we took advantage of opportunities tonight. I really did. I mean, the ball's at the 40-yard line. You know, we're one for four in the red zone. So, um, we got to figure that part of it out. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Sean McDermott from BuffaloBills.com in his post-game press conference. Yikes. Chris, I'm, I'm on the ropes today. I'm, oh, I'm, I can tell. I think tonight's going to be uh, quite insufferable listening to you. I'm I'm battered, both physically, emotionally. I uh, I tried to explain to my wife. I don't know if it's the physical or the men- the, the mental exhaustion, the emotional exhaustion, the physical exhaustion. I think you're mentally spent by uh, day bowl. I'm just I'm 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 tired. I'm I've, it's it's been a long day. It was a long night. It was a long. The sea was angry that day, my friends. It was a long night. I was gonna come out to the tailgate, but I ended up waking up at one o eight yesterday. Because wow. I well, because I work days on the weekend, Saturday, Sundays, Monday night, and Tuesday night. I work overnights, to, so to kind of help prepare myself for working overnights on Monday and Tuesday. Sunday night, I'll stay up as late as I can. And I went to bed at 3 o'clock on Sunday morning. 
or Monday morning rather. And then I woke up at like seven thirty to take a piss, and then I went back to bed, and I didn't wake up till one o eight. Because like well, I'll just stop by the tailgate for a couple hours. I'll tell you I'll have, what. I'll have Jessica drop me off, but no dice because it's like I got to run a couple errands, and then it's going to be like three o'clock, and it's going to be not worth it. You missed the only salvageable part of the day. For most of us. I really just wanted to, to meet uh, Iman. Because uh, I don't like that you guys DM about grilling, and which that makes you a slightly better griller and smoker, and I don't like it. You don't like it when I'm good at things? I don't. No, I don't. You're, you're already good at it. You're better. I think you're better than average at smoking and grilling. And then now that you're buddy-buddy with, with Iman, and he just is has the ability to elevate you oh 100 to, to a little bit he's teaching higher. You about rib candy about duck fat spray for your chicken wings chris no, i don't i don't moving I, up like the jeffersons over I here i don't like it <laughs> folks all right we have our week 13 recap for you the patriots 14 the buffalo bills 10 <clears throat> excuse my voice i uh I lost a lot of it last night. Here's your stats of the game. Josh Allen, 15 of 30, 50%, 145 yards, one touchdown, no picks, and a 75 passer rating. Mac Jones, two for three. Yes. Fucking three passes for 19 yards. The Buffalo Bills on third down, four for 13 for 31%. Average distance to obtain a first down was seven yards. 11 third down pass attempts for Buffalo and only two completions. Stephon Diggs, seven targets, 51 yards, one drop touchdown pass. Patriots and Bills running backs. Rookie fourth round pick Ramondre Stevenson, nine missed tackles forced, 74 yards after contact. All Bills running backs, one missed tackle. Josh had three himself. Diggs, Beasley, and Sanders. Combined for four first downs, no touchdowns, and 22 combined yards after the catch. And the number of beers drank during and after the game by Bills Mafia? Enough to drown all of Boston. Chris, this was a rough one. I've I've been a part of some really brutal Bills Patriots games, but this one really, like... We wrote a new chapter. It's different because we're better. Are we? all, all the yeah. I mean, I think our our one of our struggles right now is nobody's been able to. Nobody knows what it's like to handle success, and we have a ten and six season, a three and thirteen season. Now you're good. How can you handle success? And the Bills are struggling in that department. I want to start with talking about the tailgate because it was the, it was the crown jewel of the day. Tailgating in poor weather is like the Super Bowl for guys like us. It's a time for us to break out all the toys and various strategies that our crew has amassed over the years and put them together to form a really great party to get people fed, warmed, sheltered, and just boozed up enough to really enjoy the game. Now, it didn't go exactly as planned, but I'd still call it a rousing success. I mean, Dan and I got there just after noon. And between the two of us, got the propane smoker going, threw two racks of hand-rimmed, hand-tribbed uh, spare ribs on there. You know, I like them St. Louis style, but I also like the rib tip meat. Threw that, the rib tips on, did them competition style using Q42 barbecue sauce, Iman's own special recipe, which you can get at Q42Buffalo.com. And well, there's a link in tonight's show's description. 
He even brought some rib candy. Chris. I've never heard of rib. A glaze that I can wrap in foil with some butter and honey and a little bit of rib candy. You throw this on there and it adds just a little bit of depth to the flavor of your ribs. It's incredible. It was like uh, apple cherry habanero. Cool. Well, you know my position on ribs. I they, they must have been good because I came home with zero leftovers. That's usually the sign that something's a hit. Meanwhile, Mark, in typical Mark fashion, arrived with stuffed jalapenos, a little Caesar's hot and ready, and a bag of Arby's sandwiches. Didn't I, he uh, have bring a whipped vodka? Yes, and whipped vodka from Pinnacle, which is like $12 a bottle. I... I ate one of those Arby sandwiches in something that's going to become a theme for tonight's show. Chris, I felt nothing. None of the revulsion that I assumed was coming. None of the shame that I think should be associated with eating Arby's if you live here in Buffalo, New York and have better options. Just nothing. I managed to get, well, we managed to get both of our tents not only up, but remember that lock you and I fixed on the one tent? Yep. Yeah, that broke. So in the middle of a windstorm with 40-mile-an-hour winds, Dan and I are fixing that, taking it apart and rebuilding the mechanism. We got both of them up, staked down. We didn't lose them at all over the course of the, uh, over the, course of the tailgate. Uh, uh, unlike so many other people we saw out there. We had heat, grill, a, a, a gas griddle. We had a smoker going. Iman shift up some killer beer-braised brats with peppers and onions. The rib tips were money. Burger came over and had some of those. We got to see a lot of our friends and a lot of listeners. A lot of people showed up. Uh, F1 Dave came to spend the day hanging out with us. He brought a really nice bourbon to go with the barbecue. And also weed peanut butter, which, Chris, I, the thought of edibles is a terrifying proposition. Kyle, you don't Kyle. No, Kyle Washington said he was going to send you some based on what happened last night. (laughs) I'm a little upset that Potter wasn't able to make it because yesterday would have been a perfect time for him to set himself on fire at the the tailgate. (laughs) It absolutely would have been. He would have caught on fire. Doug brought a giant pan of cowboy beans with the sausage. Doug Yeah. Nice. With the sausage and everything in there. Dr. Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bill showed up. And even though they didn't stay long, Kevin Harrington and his son stopped by to say hi and to bring us some fantastic gifts of beer that I can't wait to crack into. Chris, you like the Duvel. Yeah. And at the same time, Three Philosophers by Oma Gang. I mean, Three Philosophers, it seems a little too strong for podcasting. But maybe not this podcast. I mean, this podcast is a mess, or at least it's going to be. I mean, from start to finish, I'm proud to say that we flexed our tailgating prowess all over that storm, and we had a blast in the process of doing it. And that's good because it was literally the highlight of the entire evening. Basically, everything that happened afterwards sucked. I mean, I got home. I went downstairs. We we kind of, I said I'd unpack the truck in the morning. I'm not going to worry about this tonight. We get in, and I... I come into the bedroom and I turn the, you know, we're on getting off and my wife, we're getting all of our stuff off and my wife comes out and says hi and she goes back to the, back to bed. So I go in there, Dan's going upstairs to go to bed and I come up, come walking in the room and there's a fly and my wife notices it and goes, Oh, that's weird. It's winter time, but there's, where did that fly come from? And I go, Oh, I must still have some of the stink of that bills game on me. It just followed me in. <laughs> I was too upset to go to bed, but I was also just too tired to drink. 
So instead, I took all the leftover beans. Chris, it's baked beans with a little maple, some breakfast sausage, some onions. So you threw them away? I literally poured the biggest, a mixing bowl, a small mixing bowl full of these beans, doused them in hot sauce, and fell asleep on the couch. Just out there watching mindless nonsense, trying to wrap my head around what the fuck I just watched. Not just to the, and what just happened to us? Not just to the Buffalo Bills versus the Patriots, but what happened to our 2021 season? So as we open up this discussion, we are going to crack into this. It's an Oma Gang Three Philosophers, which was gifted to us by Kevin Harrington. Chris, take a sniff of that. It says, read on the label, it says what's in it. Well, I see that it's 9.7. smells pretty good. Three Philosophers, a blend of quadruple ale and Belgian, was it Creek ale with cherries? Cherries! See, the cherries scares me because I don't like fruit. I don't know what this is. Bottoms up. Mm. That's a dangerous beer for being 9%. Chris, take 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 just a just a even though I shouldn't because I have to work later. The Patriots the after this game you have to at least give it a taste. Now tell me that that does not taste like 9%. Oh, I get it smooth. Very little cherry. Yeah, it's just a hint. It is smooth. That's a. I don't like it when you know you put fruit in it and it takes over. Forward is bad when it like a sour when it takes a small hint of cherry. I like it. This is smooth. It's got a complex flavor because it's not as because it's it tastes like it should be a dark beer, but then it doesn't have any of the heaviness on your tongue after you swallow it. This is a great beer. And it's exactly what I need to get through talking about this fucking game. <sighs> we got to dive into it, folks. And this is where I start. If I'm, if I'm going to try to recap this, Bill's defensive effort comes under question, but whose fault is it really? Okay. I mean, the Patriots came out last night and executed one of the most hilarious offensive approaches in that they literally didn't hide their intent and used the Naval Academy playbook from the NCAA ranks. Just three pass attempts sounds like lunacy in an NFL football game. And yet, it not only worked, but it worked resoundingly. The Bills have been on the wrong end of some hilariously atrocious statistical anomalies and just dubious accomplishments over the years. I think it was from Brett. I'm trying to look for it on on Twitter right now. I think three of their... Yeah, right here. 41% of the Pats' rushing production came on just three of their 46 carries. Insane. That's... Chris, we lost to the Browns 9-6 to in 2009, despite giving up just 23 passing yards to Derek Anderson. In 2007, the team lost to Monday Night Football to the Cowboys, despite Romo coming back with five interceptions, or five, I think it was four picks and a, turn, and a fumble. I don't think we had... Uh... And the defense scored three, I mean, the team scored three non-offensive touchdowns in that game, and we still lost. Yeah, I don't think we had an offensive touchdown in that Monday night We did night not. Game. I remember. Which, it's kind of yeah. disappointing. You know, I was there for that game. <laughs> oh, I remember. Well, we, ha- we haven't won a home Monday night game since 94. So. I remember Neil punching the taillight out of my car. In front of me. He just wound up and out of frustration punched my vehicle and looked at me and was like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I go, you can be sorry. Be sorry later. 
you can't unpunch you can't unpunch my taillight and then he tried to fix it and it didn't work but this this game probably hurts the most because never before in my life have I seen a team say to ours we're not even going to attempt to do the thing that you're supposed to be good at preventing we're only going to allow Mac Jones to attempt three passes I mean Chris a moment of silence for the addition of this game to the long line of embarrassing losses and statistical outliers by this damn franchise. No, wait, wait, let me say something. Let me say something. What? I, I don't under, I didn't understand a one word you said. Ron, are you okay? Ron. Ron, wh- where are you? I'm in a glass case of emotion. That is where we all are today, Chris. If social media is any barometer, that is where we all are. The Patriots literally said to us last night, we're just going to bully you and see if you're tough enough to do anything about it because we don't think you are. In some cases, they ran the same play over and over. Multiple times in the same possession. I mean, Brian Baldinger has a great breakdown on Twitter of this. And it worked. And it kept working. 51 offensive plays for the Patriots means 48 running plays. The defense forced just 8 plays for negative yards or 0 yards. And they got pummeled between the tackles. The Patriots dominated the middle of our front 7 with their running backs, averaging 9.5 yards per carry off left guard, 5.6 yards per carry behind center, and even worse... Eight and a half of that 9.5 came after contact. That's insane. They were also really adept at getting to the edge where no one could keep contained. I mean, what, 12 rushes for 96 yards off the edges of our defense. And three of their first downs, including a 22-yard carry by Damian Harris. They hid their biggest flaw. Here we thought we walked in all cocky thinking, okay, well, our secondary with the wind is going to make mincemeat of this kid. Bill Belichick proved once again he's smarter than anybody we have working on our staff because he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to zig when you zag. I'm going to run the offense that you will never see coming. It's the one where we never try to throw the ball. We don't. We literally keep it out. That's it. We're just going to dare you to match our physicality and we we wilted. And unfortunately, while he held him to 14 points, it was the same frustrating game strip we've watched New England win with over and over again this season. One touchdown drive followed by field goal after field goal after field goal. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to watch as a fan, specifically a fan of this team in this moment as a franchise. You guys were selling the Bills to us this year as a Super Bowl contender earlier in the season, and yet they've now been physically outmatched by not one or two, but four different teams this year. Any team that shows up with a little bit of physicality, we shrivel in front of that, and it's, it's bad. Your defensive front simply isn't stout enough to hold the point of attack and keep blockers off your linebackers. Harrison Phillips and Greg Rousseau led the defensive line in run stops. Those guys aren't supposed to be your best players on the defensive line, are they, Chris? No, but you did draft Russo in the first round, so you eventually want him to get there. Jerry Hughes vanished. And this isn't just, oh, okay. Two missed tackles, no run stops. He was the worst graded defensive lineman aside from Starla Tulele. And he's been playing this way for weeks. 
I mean, I think the clock might have finally struck midnight and Jerry Hughes turned into a pumpkin because it feels that way, right? Right. He's on in the last year of his deal, right? Yeah. So I don't... You forget I mean, that he's even out there sometimes. Well, I mean, that's why they drafted Greg and Boogie because they knew that this is probably the last year of Jerry Hughes. We got beat up. And it was just as visibly frustrating to the players as it was to us fans, leading to this exchange after the game. I mean, what kind of Boy, question? What are we doing, bro? What kind of question is that? I think we. I think keep, we keep gave that, up keep, uh, seven points. Yeah, we, 14, uh, four, 14 to 14. 14 to 10. Is that the final score? We made stops when we had to. They had one big run. I mean, they got good backs. They, yeah, all right. Um, they kept coming back to a couple of runs. I mean, I don't know how you want us to answer that question. That's funny. Well, I, we'll remember that. I'll remember that. This, this goes into disrespect. It's all about respect. I come here every single week and I answer your questions. Truthfully, honestly, I appreciate you guys. Don't do that. Don't do that. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, post-game press conference from uh, taking a question from resident dickhead Jerry Sullivan. <laughs> well, here, so your thoughts on this. What, when you hear that exchange, who do you immediately gravitate towards? Players. Okay, that's, that's fair. But why? Can you explain to me why you're on the player's side? Because I think they did their job for the most part. They only said they gave up one big run. Okay, I but just it want was, to see if you can defend this. It wasn't. In, it wasn't embarrassing. So Jerry Sullivan's question was asked in the way: "This is the most embarrassing game the Bills defense have played in the franchise history," which I don't think is true. I, now, see, and this is where this whole thing breaks down because you've seen there's been the great schism on social media about this situation. You see reporters, some of them decrying the question, some of them sticking up for Jerry Sullivan. It's an interesting thing because I get it. I get what he was trying to get at, but also he worded it you, very poorly. Yeah, you could have asked it in a better way. Yes. Because it, well, it was confrontational without... But that's all the that's all he knows is to and, present anything in a confrontational way. And that's, I guess, where this whole thing breaks, is that you're talking about a guy asking a question to a player. It's in The way it's worded, it's intended to be confrontational. And the reaction that the players gave, do you think that that's warranted? Yeah, because it was asked poorly. What I think is this. I think it's just, it's a sign. It's a sign of mounting frustration, knowing you're doing everything you can to keep your football team in games. And when it goes tits up, you're the only guys coming out here to answer for it. First of all, look at this. An almost impossible stat. There are these are the lines of opposing quarterbacks in the Bills' five losses. This from Mark Stopa on Twitter. Roethlisberger eighteen to thirty two, one eighty eight, one touchdown, no picks, eighty three rating. Tannehill eighteen to twenty nine, two sixteen, no touchdowns, one pick, a seventy rating. Lawrence fifteen to twenty six, one eighteen, no touches, no picks, sixty nine, a rating. Carson Wentz, 11 for 20, 106, one touchdown, no picks, an 86 rating. Mac Jones, 2 of 3 for 19 yards. 
in a follow-up tweet this morning. So, so I get where the players are coming from. We're doing our job on defense. It's not like we're letting people just run roughshod over us. We've done the thing, especially as safeties, especially as cornerbacks. We are doing our job. And we're the ones who are coming out here to have these conversations with you every single week. In a follow-up tweet this morning, Sullivan doubled down, saying that the media can't be in the locker room asking tough questions. Most players get to hide while the quote, and he put this in quotes, leaders speak for the team. That's where this whole thing is interesting to me, Chris. According to Matt Perino, Jerry Hughes has not taken a press conference all season. And yet, he's been one of our most disappointing, highly paid defenders. You don't see Starla Tule. You don't see any other linebacker but Edmonds talking, talking to the media after the games, specifically after the bad ones. People rave about Emmanuel Sanders and all this sage wisdom that he doles out over the course of practices. Where the fuck is he? Answering some of these pointed questions about their failure to execute. No, instead it's Josh Allen who has to go up there with the podium with the same haunted look on his face, repeating the same tropes over and over again about how he knows we have talent, but we failed to execute, and he knows that we're a good football team and we're right the ship. I stopped watching him because I can't listen to any more of it. The guy has broad shoulders, but at this point, he's Sisyphus trying to push the damn boulder up the, up the hill every single Sunday, and it's killing him. The boiling over of tension like that to where you have players who react that negatively, viscerally negative towards the media. I mean, he didn't go full Mike Tyson, but Micah Hyde and Jordan Porter pretty much let Jerry Sullivan what, know what they think of him and that they're going to remember this exchange going forward. I, I mean, I, we, we wouldn't know about this because I was four and you were three, but there has to be some correlation between last year's team and this year's team with the 88 and 89 Bills. 12 and, 12 and 4, lost in the AFC title game to Cincinnati. Next year, 9 and 7, bickering Bills, Ronnie Harmon drop in the end zone. I'd actually want your dad's phone number. I want to call him and talk to him about it. I just, I, the boiling over of tension like that, even if it was kind of a dick thing to ask in the moment, I got to ask, at what point does the process account for lacking grit? an actual on-field toughness from the biggest guys in the field who are supposed to represent it for you. Not this mental toughness that we keep hearing about. Actual physicality on the field that helps you avoid getting bullied like you, Chris, when you were in fourth grade with that terrible bowl cut. Well, yeah, but now I have better hair <laughs> and a better personality, and I'm very... I, the, the personality very, thing is... That's very a reach. good looking. That is a reach. That is another reach. <laughs> Sir, you are a, you're, you're borderline being a damn liar right now. What happens to the process when the tension manifests itself inside your locker room because one side of the ball is realizing perfection is being asked of them to even sniff victory on so many weekends? McDermott has a lot of work to do here, and it's scary because he's already got enough shit on his plate when you consider Rick Dennison 2.0 on the other side of the ball that he's got. And I guess if I have anything else to say about this game, it's the, the offense. I want to talk about this. These offensive problems that we're seeing might not be problems. This might be who they are. And that's a reality that we as fans have to start maybe just accepting. Offensively, the Bills might have put together the most frustrating performance on that uh, the season. And that's taking into account the losses to Jacksonville and Indy. One of the big things I walked away from this game thinking to myself, other than the fact that other than the fact that I have a great group of friends, who, if not for that tailgate, that whole day would have felt like a fucking bust. 
I have no clue what the fuck this time this team is trying to be on offense anymore or how they make their decisions. I'll give you the first one. Stevenson and McKenzie are both inactive. This pissed me off. And I guess afterwards they said it was because Sean McDermott didn't trust either of them. Right? Yeah, I saw that. No, I didn't trust their ball security. And then Isaiah McKenzie has to comment on it and so in Twitter and just be like, damn, you're just going to put my shit out there in the street like that? And he's not wrong. Bickering Bills. As a kick returner, you don't like McKenzie. Fine. He proved last season that he could be used creatively and help your offense, whether it's his emotion man to try to identify coverage, whether it's just to help you manipulate your coverage options. So in a game where you needed something to shake loose, specifically for a team that went one and four in the red zone, whether it just be a jet sweep or simply misdirection, he's a weapon. And we are actively choosing not to let him be a part of fixing what is a glaring problem right now for this franchise. Our red zone production is garbage. If you had a little bit of success in that area last night, you win that football game. If you handle your business, if you had any creativity, you win that football game. That's like setting out to build a house, but first hitting yourself in the thumb with a hammer. You're just making life harder on yourself for no reason. Saying, I have a talented football player that I'm not going to let be a part of the solution here. And the, the reasoning for this and what they did in response, let's talk about that. It was so you could keep three running backs active. Great. That's sound logic when you only have one running back on the roster who has foot speed to make truly dynamic plays and you think that you're not going to be able to throw the ball a ton. You can agree with me that that's sound logic. That's how it started. I don't think Josh had threw had many attempts in like the first and second quarter. No. But here's the problem. That third running back, that third running back, there's, first of all, there's a reason he was available on the cheap. Second of all, he's known for having ball security issues. And when he inevitably coughs it up, you bench him. He only had seven snaps. Would McKenzie have played more than seven snaps? if he was active for this game and actively being used in the offense the way he was being used last year. That's only accounting for offensive snaps? Just offensive snaps. I think it might be the same. Okay. I guess where my frustration... I'd say more just because of the way the game went and how much they ended up passing. But to me, this is like the frog and the scorpion. If you're paying any attention at all, you would know that Matt Breda is probably liable to fumble the football. So what you're telling me is that you made personnel decisions, not from a point of knowing what you want to do, but just hoping and wishing that the likelier of the two outcomes, Breda turning over versus not turning over the ball, actually comes true. Chris, I know you don't like McKenzie, but even you have to agree with me that these decisions, like you're wishing You're not going into it with a cohesive game plan. Like the Patriots knew who they were. They said, look, we're going to grab this game by the balls. We have two stud running backs and a great offensive line. We are going to punch these guys in the mouth over and over and over again and make them stop us. And we did on and off intermittently throughout the course of the game. But every field goal was another paper cut. It was another paper cut and it was another paper. And now all of a sudden you're bleeding to death. Meanwhile, our staff goes... Yeah, we we want three running backs. Sure, one of them drops the ball, and if he drops it, we'll bench him. So he might as well not be out here. But we hope that he doesn't turn it over because we really need him because he's the most dynamic running back. 
Does that not sound like a flawed way to put together your game plan? Maybe. I mean, I don't know what their game plan was because it seemed quite different from first half to second half. Just on eye test, I thought that they ran the ball more in the first half. And then once third quarter, I didn't see much of the third quarter because I was driving to work. But for much of the rest of the game in the second half, it felt like they were passing way more. Yeah, and how'd that work for them? Not bad. <laughs> it's three points. Well, their three one, points. Their one touchdown was a pass. Ooh, okay. Three points. I don't want to hear about that. Play selection. That's exactly it. They're literally at a point where they're trying to ham fist a rushing attack into into existence, and it's coming at the most inopportune moments. Allen threw thirty passes in a windstorm last night, and his wide receivers and tight ends had some glaring drops and mistakes. Dawson Knox. It's not ideal, but it's what the game called for. We had to throw the ball. Our offensive coordinator sure as hell didn't do him any favors, though, with this nonsense that he's got going on with our ground game. The Bills ran the ball on first and second down 18 times. Of that, if you take out a late run by Singletary in the fourth quarter for 17 yards, the Bills averaged 2.3 yards per carry on all of those other attempts. When you look at the effect that those failures to move the ball on the ground have on our dismal third down results, it's obvious. Look at this. First quarter, second and seven at midfield. Singletary gets no gain running off tackle. It's third and seven. We don't convert, and it's a punt. Second quarter, the Bills are trailing now, 8 nothing because we punted and they scored. Second and eight, Singletary goes off left tackle for one yard. Third and seven, it's a pass to Beasley that doesn't net any yardage. But there's a holding penalty, and two plays later, we punt the ball again. Second quarter again. The Bills are now trailing 11-7. to On back-to-back drives, starting from our 34 and the New England 40, we run both Moss and Singletary off right guard. So that's right, you, you people at home guessed it. One yard. Both possessions end in punts. And yet, for all this love of the run the Bills have this season, it's worth pointing out that in his four seasons and 55 starts, With Brian Dable as his offensive coordinator, Allen has only had one running back top 100 yards in a single game. And it was Devin Singletary in the game that we beat the Denver Broncos in to ice the division last year. That's it. So again, the the thing that never really happens is the thing that we as a football team are going to keep leaning into and just crossing our fingers trying to wish it into existence? That seems like a terrible way to operate a football team, Chris. Does it or does it not? Yeah, we don't have a running game, and I don't like when we try to force it, like you said, force it into existence. Uh, Chris, if I came into this studio each and every week, fucked up the microphones, spilled the beer on the mixer, and took so many silent pauses that you had to spend hours editing this audio just to make it a listenable product, you'd probably either look for another way to record this stuff, or you'd find somebody else, right? Or it just choke you out. What Brian Dable is doing with our rushing attack is one of the most... It's that same thing. And it's one of the most Rick Dennison-esque things I've ever seen. And that not only was there no creativity last night. Everyone says, oh, well, you don't need a jet sweep. Well, Sanders can run a jet sweep. Well, then why aren't we calling it? You're you're literally on the six-yard line and you can't get in the end zone? I, I, I defy you to justify that. There's no creativity here. None. They have things that have worked in the past that they're refusing to utilize. Sanders had a jet sweep for 20 yards a few weeks ago. No designed quarterback sweeps, nothing. 
but he won't stop running the football, and it's a direct detriment to our team. The Bills' offense has absolutely wilted in the face of two high safety looks and high-pressure fronts this season, and it's reaching an alarming point where it could cost us the entire season. Dable just doesn't seem to have another trip, trick up his sleeve or any other offensive pivot. And it's ridiculous. Someone tweeted at us last night that I paid off my Dable stick dinner bet with Greg Thompson too soon and that I should have held out for 2021, which is hilarious to me because he's right. This guy sucks. Or at least right now, he stinks on ice. That doesn't mean he's bad all of the time. Right now, in the games where we lose, it's because our offensive coordinator has no creativity and they are literally, I just tweeted out, and I don't know whose fault it is, if it's his or if it's McDermott's, I just tweeted out a meme that someone, uh, that Potter messaged to me. And it's you know, Sean McDermott pulling up in a car to a streetwalker. A hooker. And the, the lady's leaning over going, Fifty dollars, you can get it. You can have whatever you want, and he goes, "Can you run the football?" <laughs> that's that's where we're at. We're about to go out to the parking lot and start looking for people. I <sighs> look. The Patriots are a good defense. That's why it's damning that in games against upper echelon talent and well coached teams, we also decide to do our. Be- not only do we not execute well in the moment but we also do our best cheddar bob impression in a like cheddar bob in a sack race and shoot ourselves in the leg before trying to go out and score points we hamstring ourselves both from a creativity and a personnel standpoint and then we wonder why things don't change i think we're starting to find out that john brown and that deep threat that he represented last year was more important than we gave him credit for He took the lid off. He made safeties respect what he was willing to do. Now these safeties just sit there and they wait and they camp on our routes and it's not working. The deep crosses, the deep comebacks that our offense was built around last year are no longer available and there's nothing we can do. Is that why they brought in Emmanuel Sanders? Isn't he a deep? He was supposed to be a zone beater. He was supposed to beat zone coverage. Well, when you man him up, he disappears like last night. I, I mean, I don't know how you fix this. And McDermott apparently doesn't either. Because he said, and this is a direct quote about their awful red zone offense, I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you guys. To fix that part of your team at this time of the year is tough. It's why we try like heck to do it in training camp. That's where you develop the toughness of a football team. That's a damning quote. Because to me, it sounds like you're admitting that it's broken and it might not be able to be fixed. And it makes last season's offensive success with largely the same group feel more like a fluke than a real step forward for this team. McDermott's now 2-7 and seven against Belichick. And in those games, he's been largely outscored, despite stout defensive play. I mean, you remember the year, the, the Gronk elbow game, right? Yeah, elbow from the top. We were losing 9-3 to three at halftime. 9-3. Like, we, we had opportunities. We kept the game close. It just wasn't enough. And it still isn't, apparently. It's become a hallmark of the matchup. And his only wins came in a year where Belichick had his planet quarterback fall through midseason. And that, too, feels like something that can't be fixed now. All of this lands at the doorstep of one person. The guy running this painfully inefficient, nauseating to watch, Benny Hill on steroids mess of an offensive attack. And for that reason, I'm nominating Brian Dable as my zero of the week. Fucking My hero of the week, that award goes to everybody who braved the elements and that ridiculous weather to come tailgate with us or even just stop by and say hi. 
I got a special, I can't speak for everybody, but I know I got a special experience that made it all worth it. It's a party that I'm going to talk about for years to come as one of the better ones that I've ever organized and put together. I, it literally incorporated huge chunks of all of the, Chris, I got to bust out the DeWalt job site heater. Yeah. Even though the guys really didn't let me set it up. I wish Potter was there for that. I, I had lights. Caught on I fire. Had, I, you're talking LED hanging lights. I got all kinds of stuff, clip lights, all kinds of stuff to make everybody super comfortable, to make sure that the party went well, to keep everybody warm and safe. So you had all kinds of lights. Was it like Chippewa? No. Like, no, the, no. like you set it up like an outdoor bayou on Chippewa. Remember mm-hmm. that? I, knew, I know you used to... to to go get tail down there at the no bayou. i used to get kicked out of that place it used to be called the purple monkey and i was asked every time i went in there i was asked to leave uh once because i got drunk and just dropped my beer over the balcony and the bouncer saw me do it and asked if i threw it and at the time i was with my buddy and his girlfriend who i hated and i just said i did so then he's like fine you're out of here the reality is i didn't throw the beer i just didn't want to be around those guys anymore so i, would- I allowed myself to be kicked out I would have felt you weren't allowed in because you didn't adhere to their rules. And I'm sure probably like the fifth or sixth rule is you have to have straight teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, Team Bulldog over here all day long. Bill's football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash Rockpile to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So our final thoughts of the night. Now, this is funny because this is usually where I come to vent about all the things that I feel about the game before kind of taking a deep breath and moving on to the next game and on to the next podcast to really try and help the listeners kind of connect with me on an emotional level about these things and how I think and feel and about the events that just took place. And I, I do a concise kind of monologue but I feel, I imagine that the feeling I have right now is how Brett Favre felt at the end of his career. Just all beat up, all concussed. I got nothing left. I got nothing in the tank. I'm just, I'm empty. I'm devoid of both frustration and hope. And you're sending naked pictures to random women? I, well, maybe. Okay. So, 
Mark Schofield. Mark Schofield of Patriots fan. He actually has a video out today. Um, he does a series where he analyzes three passes from every single game. And it's fitting because the Patriots only threw three passes, so he only has three to dissect. But he got me thinking. Last year, Mark Schofield, he recorded a podcast in the aftermath of their Monday Night Football loss to the Bills called Eat at Arby's. And in it, he quoted Nihilist Arby's on Twitter, which is a great follow. I'd suggest to anybody out there, if you're feeling empty like I am today, just take a peek at that. Because some of their tweets really do put things in perspective for me today. I mean, there's dozens of them to pick from, but the one that hit the head on the nail on the head was, the world will end, you'll die, so will every everyone you've ever known. Why do you care about what's bumming you out right now? Nothing matters. Please continue to eat at Arby's. Hmm. I'm... I'm finished, Chris. I got nothing left to say. I just, I'm all beat up out here. So I'm going to turn the wheel over to tonight's, our very first in-studio guest. Wow. Mr. Nathan P. Geary from WGR 550. I'm going to turn this over to you because I want your final thoughts as I sit here and enjoy an Arby's sandwich. This is where we've reached, Chris. I have nothing left. I'm Mark Smith. Just... It's a day old Arby's. I don't know Eat what. It's a day old Arby's. Yeah, it's yesterday. So, what are your final thoughts? You have sauce in your pocket. Well, that's is this is clearly rock bottom. I didn't know I was coming to save a life tonight, but here I am. I had pulled this guy out of the grave. Well, listen, a lot of frustration. You're you're eating that sandwich. Yeah. Okay. Love that about you. That's. If, if you can say one thing about him is just the consistency, just of absolute debauchery and just, mm. yeah. Um, but I just absolutely respect the hell out of it. But I think you've been out here waging war on the Twitter streets today, sir. There is so much unfortunate blame to be sort of tossed around over the last 24 hours i've gone through the cycles of yeah maybe it's the offense no it's definitely the defense and well maybe the way that they did that really means this and and that's what you do in this game is you dissect the intersection of where storylines and things you can claw and you can attach to right and mostly i think everyone's looking for something else to talk about than the patriots sort of recapturing um, this thing that felt like was over. And now you sit in a place where not only is it not over, but you're sort of watching it replay again. And I think the anxiety comes from a real fear of not a, a, a real fear of thinking that 2020 was a fluke. <laughs> And and there's that real fear that exists currently. It, it probably is pretty palpable in this room. Um, but what does, at the end of the day, that game mean in the grand scheme of things? And, and I think the perspective is super important on this because the Bills have another opportunity in Foxborough to go beat that team. They have an opportunity to beat Tom Brady this week. And I, I think those are important things that, like, hey, they're 7-5. Uh, the season's probably over, but 
and, and listen, the reason I say that is because I just don't know what they have done to prove that they can be trusted to dig themselves out of the hole. They haven't won back-to-back games since late September. Um, they are three and four in their last seven games after starting four and one. Um, they are their average points per game offensively are down 13 points over the first six weeks of the season. This Bills offense averaged 35 points a game, and over the last six weeks, they have averaged 22 points per game. Their defense is pretty much throughout given up about 14 points pretty solidly throughout the season. Obviously, you give up a whole bunch against the Colts a couple weeks ago. That skews away a couple of those those those, those bullshit you know um, uh, shutouts against you know teams that basically shouldn't be in the league they should be relegated that is just repulsive folks um but where i want to go with this is the coach has become something that i'm sure all of us probably in the back of our mind feared which is a conservative by nature defensive-minded coach i don't know inside the building i know I know where you stand on Brian Dable. I know where you stood on Brian Dable before the season started. <laughs> and then, listen, I, I, I've got a real feeling here. And, and to be clear, I don't have insider knowledge. I don't have an inside scoop. I don't have somebody telling me this information. I get the sense that Brian Dable wanted to throw the football one million times this year. And he came out in week one, and they got punched in the face. And it didn't really work. And they weren't prepared for the too high safety shell to really stifle them. And then Josh Allen got hit a few times in that game. And boom, there you are. You're 0-1 against the Steelers team. A lot of people thought you should beat. And I think what happened was, is I think Sean McDermott on Monday morning went down to Brian Dable's office and said, you got to run the football. We got to establish the run. We have to be a physical football team. The problem is, is they're not built that way. And the problem is that the issues on this roster are the exact same ones that held them back in the AFC Championship game just a year ago. They, they looked at the offense, and, and this is why part of me believes that Brian Dable has sort of been the fall guy for what I think is a really troubling trend of an inability to scout offensive linemen, to understand where it is so critical to have proven depth. The cornerback position, they're learning the hard way. If Dane Jackson goes down with an ankle injury, they don't have another true outside corner on the roster right now. No. So these are fundamental, foundational issues with the organization that you may not have looked at or you thought you looked at last year or had given enough credit to, but you assumed the quarterback would be able to cover all of that up. And the problem is, is they are not, in my opinion, leaning into Josh Allen enough. I think he accounts for roughly 76% of his team's offense, which was in first place uh, amongst active quarterbacks in the league, right right ahead of Lamar Jackson, who, by the way, you would think has 100% of his team's offense. Yes. Josh Allen has more. Wow. And on Monday night, in a game where you turned around and you handed the ball off, to Zach Moss and, and Devin Singletary repeatedly with the same result over and over and over again. You, They say that there were three design quarterback runs called in that game. You have to point those out to me. I don't remember them. That, no. I, it, being they there watching live, it didn't feel like it. First and, first and goal from the six, and you end up with a missed 33-yard field goal attempt into a... If you're Sean McDermott, I know that the wind had died down, but it's not like it went from 70 miles per hour to nothing. It was still 30, 40 mile per hour wind gusts. You have a quarterback who's six foot five, who runs like a gazelle, 
And from six yards, you can't find a way into the end zone. No, these are all valid points. I think this, that the I think the offensive coordinator has been giving given explicit instructions to keep their quarterback out of harm's way and to run the football in a, in a conventional sense. See, now this takes me back though to, to 2017 because I don't know what Sean McDermott's involvement in the offense has been and I've had some conversations with some people. I don't think it's I don't think it's a lot, but I think it's enough. I think there's one thing <clears throat> that this is revolving around and it's the identity that he wants. And it's this physical identity. But the problem is they're a finesse team. And they were built purposefully to beat the Chiefs. And what they're realizing is other teams have caught up to the Chiefs. The Bills were late. Yeah. The Bills the Bills decided that they were going to build up to stop an animal that everyone had already figured out, but you were late to the party. Yeah. And it turns out that that Super Bowl wasn't just about Mahomes' injury or the offensive line. It's it just that, that they that had style gotten of figured out. That style of football was done. And, and, yeah. and it's not that it's done because they're going to punch back. They're going to figure. They're too oh, talented. for sure. And Andy Reid is too well, creative. Because they have a creative guy. That's right. And so that's when you come back to the Buffalo Bills. Like, Chris, weren't we just talking about this? Literally, you come back and you... You have an offensive coordinator who's nowhere near as creative as Andy Reid. You have a coach who, when I go back to 2017 and I talk to people about this, when we're, Justin Yulberg, you know, we're talking about this last night, and he's talking about McDermott being to blame for this. And I go, well, I don't know how much he actually does when it comes to the offense. But here's what I know happened back in 2017. We weren't doing well. And... Sean McDermott said, hey, we need to pass the ball better. You know, you have that Broncos game where somehow three wide receivers end up in the same three-yard box. Yep. And he goes to Dennison and goes, guys, we have to get this passing game going because LaShawn McCoy can't run the offense himself. Mm-hmm. And th- all of a sudden, Nathan Peterman's your quarterback. And you say, wow, that was a dramatic shift. You benched your starter. That seems crazy. I wonder what spurned that. Well, in, in the moment, you want to say, well, he was given information from his staff that said this is what's necessary. Now you look at this through the, through the lens you're providing and you say, look, maybe he went to them and said, I want this. And Rick Dennison said, well, then if that's the case, you got to you need to give me another quarterback than Tyrod to run my passing. Concepts. Yeah, right. And then they gave him that guy and it went up in flames. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly. And that's why he got fired was because he said, hey, you led me astray. The thing that I wanted to do, you t- gave me a, a roadmap for it, and it blew up in my face. Yeah. Could this not be a similar set of circumstances where he goes I, to him and says, hey, we're good. I want to be a tough physical team that doesn't expose my quarterback to a ton of contact, that wants to be physical, and all of the buzzwords you want to throw at this thing. Maybe that's where this lays, is that McDermott's the guy who just walks into an office and pulls a Steve Jobs, like I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves the idea of it. Chris, you and I hate Apple products. Correct. Nate, you're a millennial. You like Apple. I am young. <clears throat> do, you, do you have an iPhone? I do. Absolutely. I, I am you, young. I knew you did. I got, I've got the blue text when you text me. You can't get it. <laughs> so, so, th- so this is the thing. I always look at Steve Jobs as the guy who just kind of, and Bill Burr has a f- hilarious bit about this. And he's right. Steve Jobs not a not a dumb guy. He was brilliant, but also he's the guy who walked into a room full of other nerds and just said, "Hey, I want this thing. Get it done," and walked out of the room. 
Now, luckily, Steve Jobs had a lot of smart guys behind mm-hmm. him who helped power his ideas into reality. The Buffalo Bills do not. And it's not coming to fruition, but it seems to be something that the Buffalo Bills want. I don't know who they are anymore. I, I think that that's why I'm sitting here eating an Arby's roast beef sandwich. That's a day old. Shoving it down my... Literally. Just, gullet. Just shoving it down. The gullet. Because... Yesterday, when I took a bite of it, I felt nothing. I wanted to hate it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't but enjoy it. it. Yeah. I'm here in the same place with this football team today. I don't hate it, but I don't enjoy it. I don't know what it is. And I just, I'm, I'm numb. So if there's any advice you could give a fan like me who's suffering, yeah. going, I don't know who to blame for this. I don't know where we go from here. I don't know what this turns into. What would it be, Nate? Um. It, again, I think it would be the fact that they're going to have an opportunity to beat Tom Brady next week. And, and, they already sort of have beaten Bill Belichick. It felt a little fluky yesterday. I, I, I said this. Uh, I, I went back and looked from last year. And um, in one-score games in 2020, the Bills were 5-1 and one in one-score games. They're 0-4 in one-score games this year. So Is that natural correction then? I Probably. But I also think that a little of that is kind of predictable. And I think if you're Vegas, if you're odd setters, what you do is you look at an upcoming season, try to set your odds. One of the first things they do is say, okay, which team is the most likely to regress and which team is the most likely to ascend in a given season? And the first thing they do is they look, okay, what was their record in one-score games last season? And if you are a 12 or 13-win football team and you win six, seven one-score games and you get lucky a whole bunch, I think you look at the Baltimore Ravens in this where they're paper tigers, where they won on a 66 yard field goal against the worst team in football um they probably should have lost against the raiders they probably should have lost against a lot of t- uh, they, they definitely should have lost against the raiders the colts? or they did lose against the raiders they should have lost against the colts that's what i was thinking um so what this comes down to is they're going to have an opportunity to beat this upcoming week tom brady that will sort of i think reset things recalibrate things you get to eight wins you're at eight and five and you have a Panthers team at home that you should Denver Bronco. That you should yeah. get back on the right track, throw 45 up on the board against a team that's not playing for anything. They've been up and down, so they're a quality opponent. Go out there and and, and assert yourself and, and show that you can win back-to-back games and, and do that you know, convincingly and get yourself back on track. And then you have the opportunities to, to go into that New England game. Coming off of two straight wins... I would be willing to bet you that the Indianapolis Colts beat the the Patriots next after their bye week. I don't. The think, Colts are hot. Do you know who has a ton of one score wins? Who? The New England Patriots. Yeah. Do you know no. who they have won? Do you know who have they beaten? They, now they beat the Bills, but in the Falcons, uh, the Titans without Henry, the in Bills a game are, that was sloppy. The as Houston hell. Texans forced Bill Belichick to fundamentally change his secondary and what they do schematically. They went from a, a 80 to 90% man team to an 80 to 90% zone team because Davis Mills ripped their defense apart. So I just, they're winning football games. And no matter what you say, that is what matters in this league. That's what Sean McDermott will tell you. And this team, I here's the thing I agree with McDermott. And this is why he almost told on himself a little is if you would have told me before the game at 7.45 that the Bills would have four red zone opportunities, the Patriots would have one, I would have told you that the Bills would have won by two or three scores. Yeah. It's it's a damning thing when you see it. This is and probably should be a 10-win football team. 
Yeah. No. So that's what makes the expectation is what makes it sour. But the timing, the lead up, the loss to the I, I said this on post game. That loss was far more demoralizing than that Jaguars game ever was. Oh, for sure. And the Jaguars game was just flat out frustrating. And you think it beat Arby's after a Jaguars loss? I'm not sure what you. I, I don't. Frankly, I'm. I'm surprised you're still here. This is like my own personal crying game. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> my my advice to everybody is <clears throat> buckle up. The next two weeks will be the will reveal whether or not the Buffalo Bills are a playoff team this year. If they lose against the Patriots next week or against the uh, against Tom Brady next week, not only will you have lost to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in back to back weeks after sort of saying that you're there like you're you, you went arrived. from the AFC championship yep. uh, you know team and, and and you lost in that game but you're coming back as Super Bowl favorites and your quarterback was the MVP, MVP favorite and and you lay these eggs and people are still giving you the benefit of the doubt and now people have faded off of the bandwagon and even after a game like yesterday people that I follow and that I watch on TV mm-hmm. that that do tend to you know defend the bills um Feels like they're gone too. So, and it's earned. So they're just, they're at this crossroads. They're at a really important point where they're going to face one, the best run defense of the last three seasons, the number one yards per game given up on the ground defense, the best defensive line on the interior in the entire league. Talk about physical. That's going to be a test for them. But they are also facing a secondary that I cannot name you one player in. Thank you. I can't wait. And that's why we have you joining have us. To score forty points. <laughs> well, that's why we have you joining us in our preview for Tampa Bay. Chris, you have any thoughts to add to this diatribe? Just this, just this. No. Addressing this football game, or are Funeral? we ready? Are we ready to package this thing up and move on? No, it's you know what I said earlier in the show. It Buffalo's had two years of success, and right now they're not handling success very well. No, things are falling apart. You know, you got to, can you? At some point, you got to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And the question is, can you? Taxi driver said it. Good job, Chris. <laughs> Guys, we got to get the hell out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This is Nate Geary. And this has been your Rock Power Report. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.